This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. We are brought to you with Classic Football Shirts, who are currently selling Classic and Clearance Lines with products from £5 upwards, so something for everyone. They have shops in Manchester and London, I think one in Dublin as well, that you can order online, and listeners to this show get a discount with TOTD10 at checkout. I'm Wayne Barton, joined as usual by former Manchester United defender Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Well, better than me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. There's something about a new season, that sort of fresh page kind of thing. You sort of wipe away the expectation. It's almost like you, you want something unrealistic. And not, not that you want something unrealistic, you want the same thing every time you want United to win, but you want to see things that history has told you that you should have really come to expect. Um, and so it was um, on, on Saturday. Um, it took us half an hour to get into actual football on last week's show, but there's not going to be any danger of that today. Although you might ask what sport United were playing on Saturday evening. Um, so United won, Crystal Palace 3 as disappointing an opening to the season as they could possibly be. Um, Paul, what went wrong? Um, well, there's, there's so many opinions out there at this moment in time, and I think even there's even Man- non-Manchester United fans who's got an opinion about what's going on at the moment, because I think everyone is looking at it and wondering, is it the same old story again? Is that 
United managed to get themselves in the Champions League and then they never take the next step on from that. They never look to build on from that. And I think we have to look at it is that it's, it's been, you know, it's been talked about ever since um, Oli got in charge. And I think everyone has to look at it and say, no manager can deal with what at the moment he's having to deal with. And he should be, he mostly was the happiest man ever at the end of last season when it finally ended for a short period of time and when he looks back on that season and says well I've done something not expected three semi-finals and and I've got Champions League football back for Manchester United and he'd done that and he mostly enjoyed that moment but I wonder if he knew already himself what was going to be hap- or foresaw- foreseen what was going to be the next stage of Manchester United qualifying for the Champions League knowing that he wasn't going to get much joy in in the in the marketplace and getting players. He, I mean, he he got everyone going, didn't he? By that signing he made, it was um, a weird one for me, Paul. Because I, I I've done a, a couple of write-ups for the website, um, the match reaction, and then I did a longer, sort of more considered thought on hmm. the state of United at the moment. And that was a, a thing that we talked about last week on the show, and it, it stuck with me ever since. What was the point in qualifying for the Champions League in the first place? He would have probably been better off this summer, in a better position to be backed, if we'd have lost against Leicester on the final day. Um, really? Yeah, I suppose you could look at it that way when you look at what happened at the weekend. But for Oli as a manager, it wouldn't have been because everyone would have wanted him sack and they yeah, said that a yeah. better manager... That's the problem. He was stuck between a Devon and Deep Blue Sea. And the thing about it, the truth comes out now. And I think everyone must see it must see you can't look at the person who sits in the dugout as much as people in there don't like him and I, I wonder who you know I think there's obviously there's a, a kind of a a niche kind of people the ones who don't like him and I don't I think we have to say that they're new more new age fans of that way who, who are not bothered who, who don't who don't who don't know history and they, it wouldn't. It's not going to make any difference at all. They try to bring in allegedly the best manager in the world. I think that's what he called himself anyway, and that didn't work out either. So you have to say, and again, say again, the problem lies with what's happening on top. That is the problem, and what is happening up top is for is causing problems again down below. And I just hope, and after what happened, you know, after the turn of the year, and then you know, pre-lockdown, leading up into lockdown, and then what happened after lockdown, Manchester United, I didn't want all that to go to waste, but after one game, it looks like it, it, it has, because the next game is even more important against, an, you know, a very, very good side in Brighton, who have improved immensely. The football they play, they've gone on another another level. They, it was a bits and bobs, and they got by in the end last season, You and you see now why they got in someone like Graham Potter, They've got, and then obviously Manchester United. Then have got a League Cup game, which I think is that right? A League Cup game? Yeah, tomorrow night. Well, yeah, which is elite. Sorry, that's the thing. <laughs> There's so many games coming. I didn't even went right out of my head. Um, is a that's that's just as important. Yeah. He's got to be careful what he does in that. He's got to be careful who he picks because I think we saw already at the weekends, and I, and I mentioned it myself. In, in something I, I I said to somebody somewhere media wise. Palace got a lift the moment they saw that team. Because yeah. I saw that team and I, I just, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw that team. I really, that team, Crystal Palace mostly thought, 
we're going to go to Old Trafford and get something again. What do you I, think what it was then, Paul? Because I looked at it beforehand, and don't get me wrong, I had some concerns, but I looked at it, and probably because I try and think, whenever I've got a little bit of an alarm, I sort of switch my head into thinking, no, what's the explanation? And so... He plays McTominay because he wants to introduce Van der Beek slowly. I can understand that. He plays James because he wants to sort of take Greenwood out of the limelight. I can understand that a little bit. I can understand playing Fosu Mensa. Big fan of Fosu Mensa. Um, so I don't have the criticism for him that other people do. But then I look at it, and obviously, you know, yeah, obviously those players, where it was a concern. But I tried to think, oh, I can understand what he's doing with that. I mean, McTominay is a different thing because we've talked about him before. He's he's a breaker of play, he's not a setter of tempo. Um, and that, again, was obvious on, on Saturday. But you look at it, and I'm just wondering, because we'll, we'll talk about the individuals in a little bit, about the sort of alarm that came from that performance. But what was it about the starting eleven that concerned you so much? Those three just worried me. Fonsu yeah. Mensa, whatever, was at Fulham. Yeah. He was woeful. Fans didn't like him. I saw him play three, four times. I liked him when he played under LVG. I liked yeah. him the way he played. Everything about him told me that boy has had a great education in Dutch football. Everything about him you saw. Since that time, he got an injury. Yeah. And then since um, LVG um, got sacked... He hasn't stepped forward. He's been out on loan, went to Crystal Palace, started off okay, lost his way. You know, there he are, he was gone. Roy, Roy just said, nah, he's not up to it. Goes to Fulham, very, very poor. I watched him play a game against Liverpool. I think it was his final game. He was woeful. Didn't look bothered. Did not show anything at all to me for a lad who's trying to prove a point at another club. Go and prove a point. If you might not be working at one place, prove a point to them, they might want to do something. In other words, be honest, be brisk, you know, just kind of, you know, show it yourself. Show how much you want to do it and you want to play. He, for me, played like someone I don't want to be here. Get me back to Manchester. That's not the way to yeah. do it. So it went, poor, it went poor for him. And then he's playing. I look at Daniel James. Yeah. Everyone knows at this moment in time, he is nowhere near ready to be playing regular Premier League football for Manchester United. He needs to go out on loan somewhere and play. I think he might even need to go and play in the Championship regularly. Yeah. Because he's never done that at Swansea. He never really had a long enough run and then go and play. And he, he needs to go and play regularly for his own peace of mind as well. And McTominay is everything that you said about him. I got crucified season half ago maybe to about him he was going to be the next captain he was going to and I think people got caught up in it because what Mourinho Mourinho made up an award so he could give it that was Mourinho's way of saying look I'm playing young players when in fact he wasn't really a young player when he come in and and he, and he isn't good enough for us except to play regularly in a successful Manchester United team those three players were on the right hand side and they was up against maybe the, one of the cleverest Premier League managers in Roy Hodgson. Yeah. And he took advantage of that by making all their basic build-up play in that area. And it caused Manchester United massive, massive problems. They couldn't deal with it. They are such a clever team, Crystal Palace. If you allow Palace to get in front, you have got a massive problem because Roy is one of the best managers in the league at killing off games. 
Yeah. Absolutely brilliant at doing it, Roy. At doing it. I was at Southampton, their first game. I watched them there. The moment they went in front against Southampton, they didn't really look like losing it. One, I thought Southampton were poor, but maybe I was doing Roy and Crystal Palace a disservice. It was about what they'd done. You, you don't bring out big names. Their big names are hard, but he plays when it suits. Mm. When it suits. He's not one of them you can really rely on week in, week out, because you really don't know what kind of animal is going to be waking up that morning and going to play for you. But when it matters, he comes out and he can go and nick something by a moment's, moment's bit of magic. So, and, but those midfield players, the McCarthy's, the McCarthy's, the um, Miavojevic, the um, who is it? The um, I forgot the ex West Ham lad who used to play as well. They've got enough clever players within that squad, and they, you know they're playing like their second, third choice central, central defensive parent, Sacco, um, Cahill, and um, is it Tomlin? Is it Tom? No, I'm forgotten. Is it Tomkins? They're not fit. They're not fit, the main ones. So they're, they're not even nowhere near full strength, but they still got what they deserved out of it. So I think when you talk about um, Van, Van, Van der... I've forgot his Van name. Van, Van der Beek, Van der... Whatever he, whatever he is. When you talk about him, you think to yourself, well, I just don't want to bring him in slowly. Sorry. I didn't get brought in slowly when I played for Manchester United. When I signed, mm. I was in the first game of the season. Oh, I was in, I was, so, guess, sorry. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, and I see what you're saying with that. I, I, what I'm saying is, when I looked at the team sheet and I to sort of address my own concern, I'm looking, thinking, oh, is that the explanation for why he's done it? So, in that respect, then, Paul, do you, does Ole have to take some of the criticism? Yeah, he's had his hands tied, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But and some of the players were only just coming back, but he should have still known better than to pick those players. I think so. I really do think so. Listen, Greenwood. Greenwood's a young boy, right? But the problem is, when you're a young boy in football, after you've had what, and when you've done what he's done already, that means when he's got, when everyone's, he's got picked for England, which was a ridiculous decision to give to go and do what they've done. I said that last week, yeah. but still, he's been picked for England. He's got this record of scoring goals, and everyone wants to talk about this. He now is balding on, balding on being a man. Ryan Giggs was a man at 18. Mm. So that's what, because football finishes at 30, mid-30s if you're lucky. You know, it's not, you don't play until you're 70. So you've got to say he's getting, so play him. He's had a lot about him. I think the boy needs to play. Why don't you play him? And everything around, I always got told and would always, everybody says, when anything ain't going, when you've got things off the field or anything, the first best thing you can ever do is to cross that white line and have 90 minutes and nothing, nothing can affect you when it's out there. Cross back over that, that line and then... You, you go and sort that a bit out, you move on and you get on with it and you deal with it. But that's, and that's why he should have played him. Leave him sitting out is prolonging, prolonging the agony for him and all it's doing is inciting the media to have more time to write more stuff for what he does play. Let him go and play. It's absolutely crazy. If that's the reason why he could have left him out, well, that doesn't make any sense at all because he played Harry Maguire. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense and... I wish he hadn't played him, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's the, that's the individual bits. But anyway, go on. No, yeah, you're right. And it is important to remember as well, like you said earlier, Hodgson deserves so much credit for the way that they set up. and Their game plan was executed brilliantly. They fully deserve the win, uh, regardless of the shambolic refereeing for that second goal, um, which I'll... I understand that under the new rule, that's going to be an amble. It's going to be seen as an amble. 
But for me, Paul, every I mean, I don't know if it was just me, but I thought De Gea was further off his line for the retake. Do you know what I mean? It's I didn't understand all of that retaking nonsense. I don't want to sound um, like I'm grumbling about everything and, ev- and anything, but um, the other thing was um, the bluster about match fitness. <laughs> and I get, I get it. United, they've only had that warm-up game against Villa, and and they've had a few friendlies, but. I see so many people desperate to pin it on the manager that the players get excuses time after time and it's like this one, the fitness thing, is something that they get the benefit of the doubt every single way. Like in the regular season last year, like this time last year, when they were looking knackered after 20 minutes every game, people were saying, oh, it's Solskjaer's training regime that's to blame. Then they play after the restart and for five games they look good when the sun's out. And then they get tired because apparently they run into the ground by the manager. Now, they haven't played enough and they're knackered. It's like they're just knackered all the time. It's, what, what, what kind of circumstances do, do we have to put in place for these players to be um, considered to be the athletes that they are? Everybody on social media t- t- um, put their um, coaching badges in their pockets and let, let real people get on and do their jobs properly. That's the biggest... That's the biggest. Everyone's got an excuse. Footballers... Are not tired. You can't be tired because you're supposed to be doing something you love. You don't want to show your tiredness because you want to play in every single game. They're not tired. They've just had a bad game, and everyone all of a sudden that's the reason. Oh, we looked a bit leggy. People seem to know so much now. It's incredible. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the greatest person about about this virus going around. I know everything because I've got an opinion. So I know everything. It's as simple as that. So everyone now knows everything about football, about management. Everyone goes to Carrington every day and watch what Ollie does. I mean, no one ever, no one ever talked about a, a Sir Alex Ferguson side ever being tired. And yet they played more games. They played more physically demanding games week in, week out. The ball was in play more, a lot more than what it is in today's football, but yet no one ever said that. If no one ever questioned his training. If someone had said about a player being tired to him, he would have turned around and given him a right dirty look because as far as he's concerned, all his players weren't tired. They were fit enough because they wanted to play. Fitness is a state of mind. Mm. And if you're telling yourself you're tired, you will be tired. It's as simple as that. It's a life thing. Like I've said it before. The man who trains every single day to do a marathon is not always the man who actually finishes the marathon. The one who finishes the marathon is the one who wants to run the marathon. Yeah. And, that, and that's the big difference. And, and that's the thing. So, no, it isn't Ollie's training. It's just at the end of the day, players, more, there's a lot more players now who, who are given excuses. And you know what it's like? Think about when you was all young and your mum said, oh, oh, your nose looks like it's running. Is it running? Yes, it is, mum. I don't know if I can go to school. No, you stay at home. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. But if you keep putting things in people's heads, as we know, it will get in there, and the weaker, mental, weaker one, mentally weak ones, I should say, will will step on, will step on it, and use that as an excuse if anything goes wrong. So when you see old oh, too many games, I mean he did it, didn't he? Eric Dyer, 
I mean, he should be lucky he's playing, let alone moaning about we've got too many games. But he's coming out saying, oh, we, oh this is what we've got on. Look at this, what we've got. Too many games all fitted in. You think to yourself, come on now. You can't, you're not having to train all the time. Every time you play, you come in next day, you jump in your lovely little individual baths. You get, you get someone fanning you down after. What a life they got now with the amount of games they're playing. They don't have to train. So what is the problem? Because they've all got excuses. Because a lot of managers give them excuses. Mourinho didn't the other day. Because they played rubbish and they got beat, he, he's turned around and said he's questioned their fitness. Now, if a manager questions the player's fitness, then there's a big, big problem. Because it's because anything you do in a walk of life, you, everyone looks at the manager if there's anything wrong. But when he's questioning something that he's in control of, please don't pull it on the players. Look at yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what he's got, and, he, and as we know, he doesn't do that. But you can't do that, and no, it's nothing to do with fitness. But sometimes, as a player, now if I was say, if I was Bruno Bruno Fernandez, um, if I was Paul Pogba, maybe if I was um, we was out there, maybe Rashford or Martial, I'd look around and I think myself, how to finish the season, and then I'd look and I suddenly go, where's Matic? Where's Van der Beek? Yeah. Why, why aren't they there? What, you know, why, why ain't Greenwood playing? Why is he on the bench? Because you do. You look around and it's a, it's a thing you do. Everybody do it. And if you're honest enough, if there's an honest enough ex-pros who would come out and say it, if there's players who are playing would come out and say it, you look next door. Now, it's like, it's like me. Walking out of the tunnel and I've got Brian Robson in front, I believe I'm going to win this game of football. That's the difference. And, if, you know, all of a sudden you're playing games and if Ince Keane and say Bruce are sitting there on the bench and I'm looking around going where are those three gone I think it was, I don't think I'm going to win this game you're playing against a team which is a little bit of a bogey team at this moment in time and it's your first game of the season you need everybody psychologically right in their heads when they look around them and they can believe they're going to win I'd like to know how many of them really believe they was going to win when they looked around they looked what was on the bench and then they looked on the pitch because I'll tell you what psychologically Crystal Palace won that game when they come out the tunnel they didn't even bother they mostly walked out the tunnel first of all knowing what the team was ready looked at them and just and just carried on and looked forward rather than generally looking when you see a Manchester United team you just think to yourself right okay got to do this right got to start right got to do this because we're going to be under it and that never happened well you look at that right hand side but um, and we'll talk about them in a in a little bit but well, I said about the individuals, but you've got Vin- Victor Lindelof and Paul Pogba were playing there as well, and they did not do anyone on that right hand side any favours because they were constantly bullied off the ball. Um, but before we get to that, um, a point was raised to me on Twitter. I said, "Oh, we're going to do the podcast and everything like that," and someone said, "Oh, you should talk about this." I thought, "Yeah, actually, do you know what? That's a great point." Tactical systems and perhaps trying something different. Now, the way that we set up, right? Fair enough, that's his strongest team. But you said something there about... Um, and I, I don't think it was Solskjaer's intention, but this is what's caused from the top of the club and the way that the club's been run for years. You mentioned about feeling, like I guess, 10 foot tall when you've got Brian Robson and Paul Inson and Roy Keane in your side. But the obvious flip side to that is if they're allowed to be on the bench, I'm not saying that it breeds complacency, but it, what he's saying is we can take it easier in this game because those guys aren't on the pitch, because we it's an opponent that we should be able to 
to be more easily. I'm not saying that Solskjaer did that because I don't think that he can afford to do that. But obviously, the the idea of complacency breeding complacency is um, is a big issue. Now, and again, I'll talk about transfers in a minute as well. But we've seen in games against City and Arsenal and Chelsea that Oli's actually quite switched on when it comes to good shapes and how to tackle particular opponents. Now, obviously, those tactics in those games are reactive rather than proactive. You do want proactive from United, you don't want reactive. But at the moment, we're in a needs-must scenario. And maybe, Paul, and I might get a, a few people saying, what are you talking about, Wayne? Maybe it's the reactive tactics that we're going to need in games like against Crystal Palace, maybe telling the players, look, this Crystal Palace team are dangerous, you need to be cautious about the counter, we need to be the team who are countering them. Now, it might be insulting to the ego of one or two players, but that's perhaps what we need. You know, if the players are not going to play to their strengths, then maybe should, Oli should just be coaching to his strengths. I'm not saying be Mourinho-style negative, but just have a game plan against an opponent instead of just trusting the front six to be good. Because it's not working with these attackers. No, the front, I mean, we have to say, when we look at the front six, every, everything is, re, is very much reliant on the three, the three when he, who he wants to play regularly, on them gelling and Bruno Fernandes. And the problem is you can't rely on it that way. You can't live off the back of it. You need more players in there who can give you... Give you Minimum of six every minimum of six and a half every game, and they just haven't got that. That's the problem. You don't know what you're going to get for Martial. That's why I keep saying a centre forward is so important to Manchester United. I've been saying for months and months. Forget Sancho. That's that's not important. A centre forward is important, but what's more important at the moment, as the old saying goes, is you build from the back. A solid centre half is important as well. But going to what you're saying about the front bit, I'll make you right, but the biggest problem that Ollie's got, he's trying to utilise a squad which isn't a very good squad. Mm. Got, he, can, he can put out a good team, but he, he has not got a good squad. Manchester United's squad does not compete with at least five teams in that Premier League. Five teams have got better squads than Manchester United. Yeah. People can throw prices up at me and what they're worth and thing, but when you look at them as individual players, they don't they don't relate yeah. to other sides in that Premier League. As when you put a man to man up against other squads, they just don't. Not, they, it's just not good enough for him to be able to leave players out and bring someone in. That's the biggest worry when it's league cup, the League Cup game. What's he going to put out there? Because I'll tell you what, it could be a it could be a bit embarrassing if they don't get it right again, and it's not the way that Manchester United want to start the season on the back foot already and under this kind of pressure, especially with the market open as well still, and everyone's going to be looking for the Glaziers to do something, and if everyone's going to keep berating and berating them and berating Woodward, I'll tell you what, what normally happens: human nature, and everyone does it. Is the moment people start slagging you off. And, and to be honest, you look at it and you think they're being disrespectful. And the worst of all, they're doing it out there in, in front of three or four of your good friends or they're doing it in front of a crowd. Or more important, they're doing it on every social media outlet, slagging you off as an as a individual, as a business, as the owner of their football club. Are you just going to suddenly go, oh, go on and here's some money? I don't think so. I think you're going to turn and say, nah. 
Why am I? Because what will happen is they'll turn around and turn around and be patting each other on the back and patting themselves saying, I've done that. I made them do that. We've done that. We got what we wanted. So you have to be careful sometimes and, and what you do when, when things ain't going the way you want them to go. Everyone's out there knows what the Glazers are going to do. Everyone out there seems to have a source that's telling them what's going on. I think there's a routine that's what's going on at this moment in time. But by berating people all the time because you don't win the game of football, it, it, as we've seen over years with other clubs, we've seen it with Arsene Wenger, with Arsenal. And what's go- it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, you know, and... Everyone now is is digging out Woodward. There couldn't have been enough picture, pictures of him, you know, show, showing him sitting there and whatever about what's, you know, what's going to happen next. I think we've already got a general idea is that at this moment in time, I don't think anybody can believe that Manchester United are going to go and go out there and spend that kind of money. I don't, if, if they go out and go and spend 100 million on Sancho just, and all the fans go fantastic, great. They're great. They go and get someone who's very similar to what they've got already. And the problem is they're still going to go and concede a lot of goals. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about the transfers in a minute. Um, let's talk about the um, the defence. Um, there was a point on this podcast, hopefully you'll remember it, Paul, because it was, um, we had a slight different opinion of it and you um, changed my mind on it, really. I said, like, oh, enough's enough with this. I've been criticising this particular player for a long time and now I think it's crossed over to the point where it's not fair and that player was actually young I was a little harsh in my assessment as him, of him as a fullback but the point was he wasn't a fullback and what I should have done is sort of commend his professionalism for trying anyway in that area that he wasn't comfortable with he was doing a shift every time his legs weren't there to do the job and he wasn't able to do it but that wasn't his fault he was asked to do it and he was putting in a shift and it got to a point where it wasn't fair to criticise him anymore. You know, he was turning up, he was doing his job, he wasn't good enough. Making the point every week wasn't helping anyone. Um, You just hoped that when the time came, the manager would deal with it, and he did. Um, I think I'm there with a couple of our players, Um, notably Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof. I feel sorry for Shaw, because obviously he had a big injury, and that stopped his momentum. And he's lost sort of two years of his career, you would say, to maybe poor conditioning as well. Um, whoever's to blame for that, you could blame him. But he, whatever, he's lost those couple of years. He looks fit now. I just don't think he looks good enough. Um, um, and Victor Lindelof, um, obviously, was at fault for all three goals. Um, there was something in there um, where you could pin it on him. He was bullied relentlessly. I understand why he's in the team because he's less likely than Eric Bai or Phil Jones to hurt himself or someone else he's less likely than Chris Smalling to suplex someone to the ground at a corner but that's because he's nowhere near him um, the idea is that he's a ball player but he really isn't what can you do that's why he's in the team I'm now I'm going to say it, it's the same as with Phil Jones if you play Victor Lindelof you're now going to have to expect him to do what Victor Lindelof does and that is and it can be be at fault for conceding three goals at home to any team in the league. I've been critical of him, obviously there and in the past, but this is where I'm going to draw the line on it because there's just no point. There's no point talking about him anymore, and I don't mean that being horrible to him, because I just don't think it's doing him any favours. It's not doing him any favours to be in the team. We talked about this, obviously, a lot last season, and Paul, you were saying quite early on, and I should have 
maybe listen to you, but you know I try and be more. I'm trying to be oh let's give him a um, little bit more time. I, I so oh, oh he's trying to build a partnership with Maguire and Lindelof and that might take time. You were saying give Twanzavi a chance because I don't think Lindelof's cut out for it. I was like oh no build a partnership and everything. Um, I looked at the sort of bigger picture of a decent record overall. You know and everyone says oh look at that defensive record in the league it's all right, but obviously it's gone the other way. You can see that he's responsible for a lot. Um, each passing game is hurting Lindelof. It's also um, hurting Maguire, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. It is sad to see. You don't want to throw players under the bus, and I'm trying not to do that even with saying this, but I think, for me, if you're looking at a Manchester United team that wants to progress, and by progress I even mean just sustaining third place, you you can't have Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof starting in your team. Now, the worrying thing for me is that that makes Harry Maguire look worse, being in the middle of them. Now, we, we've talked about Maguire before, and it concerns me that when we talk about players to come in, we're already talking about players who are compensating for Maguire rather than complementing Maguire. Um... Maybe that's just the way that people approach it. Maybe we, we should start saying compliment instead of compensate. But that's because of Maguire's shortcomings of being exposed. I'll leave it there with Maguire because I don't yeah, I still think he's improved our defence. I think we can we can build around it. He can be a good part of our defence. But Lindelof and Shaw, uh, Paul, we, are we at that point like we were with Jung and Jones? It's just he can't carry on. He's, you know... In, in in a mission of mercy more than anything you don't want to see a professional like like Vin, Lindelof was on, on Saturday do you? It's not, it's not pleasant to watch I mean yeah we can be angry as fans or uh, former players you'd be disappointed with the performance but you can see he's not he's not there so he's not he's not capable of it so it's no point like throwing him under the bus anymore no, I mean it has to it has to kind of with, I mean he from the moment, I think I've said it on here quite a while ago, I watch him play and he's, he plays with his fists clenched yeah. all the time, always clenched. And I look at that and I think, so I've always kind of really wound up there, which certain players will think, yes. I look at him, no. I look at the way the game is now and they're trying to play, for, and it's not working trying to play from the back. It's, it's, it's edgy, very, very edgy the way they play out. I think, I mean, I... Chris Smalling is a problem when we talk about it, what he does, and Chris gives everything for you, gave everything for United. I mean, he had a good spell under, I think it was LVG when he was club captain, and he'd done quite well under him. It's just that he changed under Mourinho. Mourinho, as you use the words, threw him under the bus in certain ways. I don't think, again, Gareth Southgate didn't help him by about in England, saying he he couldn't really play because he couldn't play out from the back, but he... He gets Harry Maguire, who I don't see a difference in between the two playing out from the back, by the way, but it's all about opinions. But at the moment, Gareth Southgate, for um, his opinions, my, I, I question him, the way he's gone about things. Um, I never, Bobby Robson never, never ever said anything like that about a player who played. He wouldn't, say, he wouldn't have an opinion about a player because the managers of those days would have come back and put a finger in his face and say, what are you doing? Mm. You're, you're affecting the valuation of a, of a player in my, at my club and more importantly, you're affecting the mental state of a player mm. by saying something like that. So that weren't good management on his part. Chris Smalling, 
you look at it, and everyone, I'm reading some of the things, oh, he gives away too many fouls by pulling shirts. He's just been playing in, in Rome. Do people think that he, might, he, he can't learn anything anymore? He can't change? He might be able to understand. He might have, you know, Italy is the, is the home of defenders, still is. People question it, but they still produce some good defenders. Do you think he might have learned a different way of playing and a different way of marking people and, you know, maybe moved another level on from going to play in a different league? But I think we have to say there's a very good chance he's done that. So... He could maybe need, maybe given an opportunity if they don't want to go out and spend. I look at it from within. I don't think they can go from a win from within. That's been tried and tested. I mean, when I say within, I mean the ones who have been given a go since Chris left. Yeah. But but what you're saying, <coughs> going, I mean, I saw a picture of Luke Shaw and it showed that he lost a load of weight. Where, where was that two, three years ago? Mm. Why am I seeing it now about him doing that? Was, and, then, and then you look at one of the goal. You look at the goal the other day. You look at the goal he gave. Tracking back, still can't track back. Yeah. I mean, all you all you're asking him for is to is to defend first and foremost. Defend, track back, fill fill your area, fill your berth, and then you have got Harry Maguire. And to be perfectly honest, if he was if he was an old tanker, honestly, that, that by the time he turns round, by the time he managed to turn round, another tanker would have been in and out. Yeah. It's, too, it's too slow there. It's too slow. Too slow on the turn. The moment he goes one against one, he has got massive problems. Massive problems. And I'm going to say a name. And I keep saying it every time when we talk about defenders, centre-half. Someone for our oh, Brucey weren't quick. But Brucey had a brain. Brucey knew where to stand. Never got caught out for pace. And even then, when, he, when there was a doubt he was going to, call, he was going to get caught out, he knew, he knew how to put his body in between the player and the ball. Very yeah. rarely. So Harry Maguire, we keep saying it, and I'm saying it again, Manchester United have signed a centre-half who was lucky to be 50% of what they've paid and he's captain because he costs what he costs, not because he's a leader of men and he's commanding, he organises. Doesn't, doesn't do any of that. He, Harry Maguire's biggest-ish problem is his own game. Yeah. So Manchester United need someone who can play next to him who is going to really go and grab hold of that back four and pull them tight yeah. together. And if you don't want to play at the back because they're not comfortable and not very good at it, you don't do it. You don't do it. I don't get this when I'm watching teams who are trying to do it and they're putting themselves under pressure. Don't do it. There's nothing wrong in it. Nothing wrong in it at all by saying, do you know what? We're not good enough to do that like fans do. It's like we're seeing with this taking a knee. If you don't want to, don't do it. Hmm. Don't do it. Don't do it because every, the rest of everyone's doing it. I'll tell you what, be your own man and make a decision yourself not to do it. Because if someone says to you, for the sake of this and because it means so much and it's powerful, if you do it, stick your head in the, stick your head in the oven, are you going to go and do it? Or are you going to turn and say, no, I'll leave this one alone. I won't do that because I, I, as powerful you think it's going to be, I don't really agree with what you're doing, and plus, I really don't want to burn my head. Mm-hmm. So we've got, you know, so at the moment, they need to think about exactly what they're going to go and do, because you've got to look at the tools you've got, and if the tools ain't good enough, you've got to find another way to fix that problem. Yeah, we'll talk about the transfers in a second, but I'm aware, obviously, people listening to this, um, they'll be like, oh, it's been more than half an hour of being negative about it. 
and, and it has because it's not very much positive to pick from the um, Palace game. But let's start and try and put in a positive segment whenever we do lose. What is there good to take from the game? Uh, Van der Beek, I mean, I wouldn't say his performance was brilliant, but the composure at least to, you know, to react in the way they did and score, I mean, we don't have that kind of finisher to do something like that. So it's quite nice to see the way they took the goal at least. Yeah, I mean, you have to I mean, go back to where he worked a little while ago. I'm just amazed he never started. And I think he must yeah. have been a little bit amazed that he didn't start as well. Because you look at him and maybe out of all the players, he might have been, he might have been maybe the freshest player as well. Mm. A lot of them, you think if he's started. And everything, his football education is mostly better than a lot of those players as well from the club he's, he's come from. And you think, yep, fine. You know, actually, yeah, it's great that he's done that. He has to, he needs, he now needs to play 90 minutes and he mostly will maybe play in the game tomorrow. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. And I think he needs to at least start the game. You can't just have him sitting there because everything, again, you don't want to go and encourage another team by putting out a weakened side and, and, and going that way. But he needs that. I think there's other players who need to see better players out, see the top players out there. One of the things I didn't like as well, as much as you said about the way Pogba was and whatever, Pogba might have felt it by looking around and kind of going, hold on a minute, but why take Pogba off and leave yeah. McTominay on? Yeah. You know, Manchester United were losing a game of football. McTominay was there as someone defensive to break the play up. The play didn't really need breaking up. United weren't, weren't anything, just grabbing hold of the ball and needed to attack. And you needed your best attacking players out there, the ones with the legs, the ones who knew what, was, what to do in the final third, and yet he leaves him on. Yeah. So I think he needs to get... You know, if he's going to do anything, he's going to need Pogba, he's going to need Fernandes, he's going to need Van der Beek, he's going to need Matic, he's going to need them fit, and he's going to—he's got to work his midfield players around them, and even with with Fred in there, Fred in there for his energy levels, for his quickness of feet. If he's going, to, if he had put Fred in there instead of McTominay, then they would have been quicker around around Crystal Palace in that midfield. Definitely quick, quicker, not and not so elongated on the ball. You know, deliberate passing and everything. Fred is Fred's game has improved immensely. Immensely, his game has improved from when he, not his game. It's just the fact his confidence levels have shot up. Yeah. Maybe got a bit overconfident a few times, a few shots and things done. But you can't knock him for that. So his energy levels and the fact of you know, the way he loves, he wants to burst with the ball would have made a difference against Crystal Palace. But they were so laboured in midfield. Pogba was laboured and that's the way he kind of plays. It looks lazy, but it's not. That's the way he kind of plays and things re players react around that way. McTominay is laboured, is very laboured. So that's where Fred could have made a difference. And I'm sure Fred is disappointed that he never got that up to jump in there. So he might be looking in the mirror, asking a few questions. So there is ways of going forward, but I think Oli has to be ruthless with what he wants to do now and make a point of saying, this is what I've got. These are the players I'm going to use, the ones to try and win the games of football. These players, my squad, I've got a squad, but I've got an inner squad, the ones I can use. And I have to, if I'm going to bring some of those others in, they've got to be in with the stronger players just to make sure that we don't get broken down too easy and people w will see that we're still, we, regardless of so-and-so being out, we can still bring someone in and it's not going to affect us too much. If he puts 
too many in at the same time, lesser squad players as he did at the weekend, then there's, there's going to be problems. And it only needs one or two as well. That's a, that's a problem. There's yeah. a big drop-off. You are right. And, and the um, my mind goes to, he said about being ruthless, and he has been as ruthless as he's been allowed to be in a way, but I don't think, we've said it before, I don't think he's had the support from the club or from Woodward. He's sort of like managed this big turnaround of players. He's got a lot of players off the wage bill, um, but he hasn't had them replaced. You can't say that, he, you know, that, yeah, all right, Sanchez wasn't good enough and Lukaku wasn't good enough, but you don't replace them with a loan signing of Igalo. That was a temporary stopgap. You bring in a player to support them. Well, it's nonsense to say that you can't bring in a player to to um, support those players. But And this, this is a thing as well, so... I said we'd get on to transfer, so we might as well do that now. Uh, you know, obviously... This podcast, we don't really go into transfer speculation and say, oh, this player or that player. It's obvious, from not only from yesterday, uh, from Saturday, from the back end of last season, from all of last season, when it, it, my mind goes back to the summer where Louis van Gaal took charge and there was that massive turnover of players and we bought a lot of players in, but we lost around... I think I calculated it, like 3,000 games of senior experience, like Ryan Giggs retired, Vidic went, Ferdinand went, Evra went. All this experience went, and you didn't replace it with experience. You just bought in, and we've been paying the price for that ever since. And then last year, we've lost Herrera, Fellaini, Sanchez, Smalling went on loan, Lukaku went. You haven't replaced, you've brought in three players, then you brought in Fernandez. More players have gone this summer. I just look at this and I think they boiled it down to well there's only Jaden Sancho who's going to improve this squad that's deeply concerning because if you look at the transfer activity Paul of this this transfer window so far lots of players have gone for reasonable fees and you don't need to find the best player in the world to come in you don't have to sign Messi or if you can't get Messi don't buy anyone I wouldn't say that Bruno Fernandes is in the class of Kevin De Bruyne, but he might as well be for the impact that he had on our team. So, because at the time, in January, or before January, the reason why we were like sort of supporting why we didn't sign him for so long was, oh, well, other clubs must not see um, something good in him. You know, they must have their doubts because that's why they haven't signed him. But look how good he's been for us. Look at the the step up in class. He's been significant so that says we players of that sort of standard that ilk we can go and get I mean I'm going to mention some players just for the sake of mentioning them now a couple of them have got release closers so you've got that Tellez who's been linked now left back at Porto he's got a release close of 40 million but they're saying get, you can get him for 25 and that's a player who can cross from the left hand side who can cross the ball from the left-hand side. Two more players with release closers. Um, Upamenko, Upamecano, sorry. Um, he's got a release close of around £50 million. Centre-off. He's a top-rated centre-off in Europe. So, one of the next big things. He's there with a release close of £50 million. You've got Haaland at, at Dortmund. He's got a release close of £63 million that's apparently not active for, for one more year. But that that comes into activity like next summer or something like that, or the maybe eighteen months. 
why don't you go to Dortmund and say, right, we're going to build a good relationship with you. We'll offer you 75 million or 80 million over the release clause. Something because he's obviously going to go up in value. They're going to want more money for him. So do that deal. Get Upper Meccano in for £50 million. They're players that you don't have to spend £150 million. I'm not saying it's as easy as paying the release clause and off we go, but at least ask the question. Haaland's there, he's scoring goals for fun for Dortmund. Why wouldn't you at least try? You know, when the release clause is there, at least try. I, oh, I would... Go, go, if someone said to me, you'd go and give £100 million for him. Yeah. You'd go and give a hundred because he does something which you're looking for. He scores goals, and he's got more. He's got more than the goals about him. So you'd go and do it. You wouldn't for Sancho. If they get hundred, if they get hundred million for Sancho, Dortmund, Christ, they'd be laughing at Manchester United. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, but the thing is with the the way that it's been sort of put across is that if well, if we don't get Sancho, that's it's the pandemic and blah blah blah. Look. If Ireland has got a £63 million release clause, I'm not going to say that Dortmund are easy negotiators. Obviously, they're not. They're going to want as much money as possible for him. But you've kind of got them in a place where they've got to bargain with you. So at least go and make the offer. Like say, we'll offer you £80 million, and then you know that you're going to make more than what you will in a year's time. I just don't understand why they're not asking the question for these kind of things, because that's a reasonable figure for a player of that class, Upper Meccano, his release close is reasonable for a player of that class it's not over the top, at least ask the question, those players are there they will massively improve the squad the, the, the team, it massively yeah. improves it, I just don't understand because that's not an excuse to me Paul then they can't say oh it's the pandemic and blah 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 you'll never get that opportunity to buy Holland for that price again take the opportunity while you can I just, or at least, at least ask the question. And they're not asking the question; they're just telling the, us, "Oh, well, Dortmund won 120 million, 108 million pound for Sancho." It's just, it, it's insulting, Paul, to any fan who's who's watching that, watching the transfer market in general, knowing that players are there. Any number of players. I mentioned in my write-up for the the website. I said Max Ahrens of Barcelona. Or Louis Stunk of Brighton. I know they're not. I'm not saying these are like players that are massively gonna um, transform us, but the better <laughs> some of the players we've got. Well, Dunk. Well, Dunk has definitely got. has got. Is more commanding yeah. than um, than Maguire. Well, uh, well, certainly Lindelof. He, he'd no, be... no, Maguire. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm yeah you, not... you watch him play and you see him, and he's definitely got a presence. Without a shadow of a doubt, in that Brighton team, he has got a massive presence. And people say, oh, but it's Manchester United, it's different. But I'll tell you what, how different it would be then. Just, you, you try it and see. And I'll tell you what, I don't think he'd be far short. He's got, a, he's got stature. I like him. Yeah. Well, I, I, just, I just think there are a lot of players. I'm not saying Dunk, Dunk is. Yeah, no, uh, I know. It was, it was, it was um, you know, I was throwing out that's a player, <coughs> a random player in the league that isn't. Jaden Sancho he's not Virgil van Dijk and he can come in and improve us it's not like there's only two or three players the, the league is filled with players of that standard who can come in and, and improve us it can be done and this idea that it's oh Jaden Sancho we, we won't pay £100 million because of the pandemic it's insulting to say that that's what it's boiled down to when you see what we watched on Saturday 
when you see that they release three kits that they're still charging full price for and they expect the fans to pay for it you can't have it both ways but they seem to want it both ways all the time and I just look the general response from supporters is going to be apathetic it always is about the honours mm. they'll, they'll, they'll get behind something online and they'll say oh Glazer's this Woodward yeah. that and it yeah, we can't really influence it, but there's got to be some kind of question put put to him. You know, not just like we're looking, we're always looking to strengthen. Put these questions to him, but you know that's directly there. There are a couple of players with known release clauses. Go and test it. Go and at least make the ambition to to want to strengthen the squad because it's almost bordering on negligent if you don't <laughs> a player like Holland. Uh, yeah, he only moved in January. But these are the things aren't we're Man United, aren't we? We're supposed to act like a big club. You could, in the past, you know, Fergie wouldn't have been shy of doing something like that. Do you know, there's no ruling stone that says you can't ask the question. Um, I don't know, it, and it just frustrates people when you see what you saw on Saturday. You see the players the way that they are. Um, it, it generates that feeling of complacency because what you're saying is you've got into the Champions League, but you don't have to. You know, like you said, mm. Pogba will be looking around him, but also Rashford and Martial, they'll be looking around them and thinking, "You want us to become top level strikers, but we're not operating at the top level, so we don't have that incentive." Do you know what I mean? They yeah. don't have the fire under them. No one's telling them you've got to do that, or we won't improve because that's they're like saying you, you don't even really need to finish in the top four this year. You. You finish seventh, and next year we'll worry about wanting to get back into the Champions League. It's well, Ollie, Ollie wants to finish in the top four because if he doesn't, he knows he's, he knows he's going to get the sack. Yeah, exactly. The fans are going to get him out, so it's a chicken and egg situation. It's going back again. You might as, you might as well go back and just just change ahead of every manager, and you just know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And every manager will go through it if they want a management and have it on their CV and say, "Well, I went there at a bad time." It'll work because everyone will go, "Yeah, you're right. You've done really well in the circumstances." As LVG is mostly living off now by saying that and everyone will say yeah you've done really well won the FA Cup and they've done a dirty on you every manager will be saying that Jose Mourinho will be saying that and using that one and maybe Oli will end up having to do that and, and use that David Moyes says his bit as well about what happened to him in certain circumstances you can look at it but he didn't help himself by what he said and some of the things he'd done but in the other bit he didn't really get enough help in a sense of, but then to get help, you actually do need to to actually go out there and help yourself as well. And I don't think David Moore has done that. So Manchester United at this moment can't go forward until they're willing to willing to speculate, to accumulate, and allow the manager at this moment in time to go and get what he needs. And if he needs another centre half, you give him another centre half. It's ridiculous how many centre halves they've got in that squad. I don't know how that's ended up so unbalanced. It's absolutely incredible how they've got so many centre halves. And really, in theory, you're questioning every single one of them. There's not one of them you'll turn around and go, "Yes, that would do." That would be the biggest argument. Let me just ask you a question on that. Mm. There are a load of centre halves at the club, and. Yeah. And they put that as a, a reason for not getting another one. That's not Ollie's problem, is it? No. <laughs> really, it's not his problem. He, well, it is his problem, it's the one that he's dealing with. But it's not his fault that there are six senior centre-halves who aren't good enough. Is it? He's, got to, he's still got to be allowed. He said, I had that same principle of backing Mourinho when he said he wanted a centre-half and he'd signed Eric Bay and Lindelof. Yeah, you could criticise him for that. 
and and he deserved criticism for it, but they still weren't good enough and they still needed replacing. So what do you do? You don't just sack the manager and keep the players. That's what they did, and they're still doing it now. It's just yeah, I'm yeah. But that's that's the way it works. So that's the that's the that's the biggest problem. The biggest crime in football now is that the players are commodities. Yeah. The players earn more money generally than managers, so they've got a little bit of control. And if there's an issue going on, you're not you can go, oh, those three or four, they're a nightmare, they're a nightmare. You keep going on about them as a manager to your bosses, oh, they're this and that, and all of a sudden the bosses will go, well, he cost us that, he's earning that, and all the way through them, and they go, well, I'll tell you what, you're earning that, and you've only got that to go, and you're only one left four. It's easier to get rid of you. Bye bye. Yeah. That's football today, which is sad as it is, but that's, that's the position that the establishment have allowed football to go to now, that footballers, really in theory, are the focal point of a football club, which it should never, should never ever be that way, but they are at the top level of, in this country, because I'm going to talk about this country, footballers run it. They're in control. They lead everything. They lead managers. Managers come in and managers have to think about how they're going to... Con- um, their day for players playing up they can't give them the Sir Alex Ferguson stare you can't, give, you can't give them the curly finger you can't get them in a room and put the you know threaten put your finger in their face and say you're not doing this you're not doing that because they'll go running to their agent who will then go to the owner or the chairman and say oh the manager the manager's doing this he's doing that he's lost a dress room the players ain't happy because he's shouting and screaming and that's society, that's, to, that's us as parents, it's new age now that our kids are soft, kids are brought up soft, players are soft. So it's just about taking what's given in front of them but not giving a lot back. So it's very, very difficult now for managers to manage and that's why they're called coaches now because they can't manage. Hmm. The, the clubs let other people manage at top level, I say. Play, you know, they've got play, somebody who talks to the players and like Leo does all that. Managers just deal with them on the training field. No one's going to walk to Ollie. A player's not going to walk to Ollie and talk about problems they've got at home or anything like that. They're not going to do that. That's the, way, that's the way football is brought up. I was brought up, and more than anything, more so with Sir Alex, is that if you had a problem, you would go and see him before the problem come to light to talk through it and get it over and done with because that's what he wanted because he wanted to manage. He didn't want to find out a problem from someone else or from someone from a newspaper or anyone else. He wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth and then he would talk you through it. He would try to help you in any way he could. And if it come to him off someone else, more importantly, he was aware of what's going on, so he could he could be constructive in what he he said about it. Yeah. Those days those days are gone at this moment in time, and we're seeing the brunt of it in in the individual players we're seeing and the football we're watching as well. And can I just mention something as well? Something that really really has disappointed me, but no, but disappointed me more when I saw it again and again and again on Twitter is Bruno Fernandez throwing himself to the floor. Yeah. I want to win. I'd love Manchester United winning games of football. I love watching the good players play football. I love all that, but not cheating and totally, totally disrespecting other footballers. I couldn't play with anyone like that in my team. I wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want it because people come up to me and people who I might know in other sides come up to me and they would say something about one of my teammates. I couldn't protect them. Yeah. Couldn't protect them. That was poor. Really, really poor, and I felt I just I had to mention that because you can't. If that was in another team, we'd be t- we would have talked about it. Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. totally wrong. Yeah, 
I, and I agree. I agree. You've got to be fair across the board, and, yeah. and we see in your team. You, you don't want to see in your team. That's the point. Um, right. So Luton tomorrow. We've already talked about that. We're probably going to. We need to play a strong team because they, first of all, yeah, need to get minutes in. But they desperately need a response, so they're going to have to. It's going to be a strong team. I, I imagine it'll be a strong team at Luton. Uh, but Brighton. We'll talk about Brighton. They were very good at Newcastle, Paul. Very good. Um, if they play like they did yesterday, they might as well. Uh, they might well give us a desperate chasing. Um, I don't fancy Shaw against Lamptey. <laughs> really no, don't. no, no. It's a bit. It's a big problem. He, to be honest, even Brandon Williams would struggle with that early pace he's got and everything. But it'd be good for Brandon Williams to go up against him because he's going to want to make an impression. He's going to see someone in that same age to him, and he's going to want to say, "Oh, minute, I'm better than you." Mm. That's what he's going to want to prove a point. So that'd be a, that'd be a good one. And you got, and then what you got? You got someone who actually is a proper defender as well in young Brandon Williams. So that would be quite good for him to go and do that. I saw I watched Brighton in their League Cup game against Portsmouth, and they had a kind of a they had like a second string side. They had a few players I recognised from last season, but they were decent. They went against Pompey, a, a div, Division One side. They went at that game. Those players like their life depended on it. They played with incredible tempo. They could have won five, six, seven. They could have won eight. They could have won. I think they won four in the end. If I'm right, if I'm right, I can't remember it because I was just I kept looking. I'm just seeing goals going in. But they went at that game properly. So that tells you what they've got in reserve at this moment in time. How how Grand Potter has transformed that club. But playing Luton, those players are going to have to be in a way like like Bright like Brighton were. They're going to have to go there because Luton are going to want. It's, it's a massive game for them. Yeah. It's a massive game. The last time you last, if I remember the. I think it was 91, would it be 91, 92 season? Yeah. The last two, yeah. The last time we ever met Luton, yeah. Absolutely. So it's just, you know, it's it's a big game for them. The bonus is, is that there's no crowd there for Manchester United. That's the bonus, because otherwise it would be one hell of a atmosphere in that, in that, you know, very, very small ground, you know, in comparison, very, very much like um, Loftus Road, really, in the way it is. Yeah. Saying that he might be in a better state than Loftus Road, but still, it's an intimidating ground to go to. As a lot of teams have found out over the years when Luton were in the top division, so he has to pick the right personnel, the right strong men, right strong players with the right mental attitude to go and play there. Not pick players if he doesn't, if he will turn up there and go, "What am I doing here? I'm better than this." Don't need any of them. Mm, well, yeah, exactly. Because I think if the Palace game has taught opponents anything it's going to be that United can be bullied <laughs> and and you know that's a physical attribute that Luton can, they don't need technical attributes to do that I'm, I'm not disrespecting Luton by the way I'm saying that they can look at that and say well we can just all we need to do is stand up to them and we've won not yeah. we, we've not won the game but we've won off of a battle because yeah. they won't stand up in the same way yeah, and they had a great end to the season as well, Wayne. They got themselves out of an incredible position because they was on the verge of going back into the first division and they got themselves out of it. You know, they've done really well to dig in. So they've definitely carried on with that as well at the start of this season. So, that, that you know, they really do need to, to get it right from the kickoff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that Brighton game, um, it's a bit concerning, I must admit. Um, as I said, Lamptey yesterday was um, brilliant and... It's amazing how how Chelsea have let him go. Tells you what football's about. When you look at Reese James, I think I like Reese James. I like everything about it. But when I look at what Premier League fullbacks are about 
and everything, I look at it and I say that they let Lamptey go because of his size. Yeah, possibly. You know, yeah. which is absolutely incredible. Someone speaking has not been the biggest person, but when you look what he brings to your team in that attacking third, but more importantly for me, and I say it again, is what he does for the team defensively. Yeah, that, I mean that is that is incredible what he does, and he's and he plays with a smile on his face as well. You know, just gets on with it. If someone knocks him over, he just gets up and carries on. Doesn't want to get aggressive or anything. Just plays the game. And, you know, what a bargain they've got there, Brighton. It's Chelsea's loss at this moment in time. When I look at the way Chelsea, and I like Reese James as a fullback, big, powerful, scored a good goal at Brighton when he, when they played down there um, in the league, first, first game of the season. But Lamptey, for me, is fitting the criteria of a modern-day fullback at this moment in time. Yeah, it's... Wouldn't surprise you if City going for him at the end of the season or something if he continues to play like he does. Yeah, well, uh, Pep Guardiola is one of those managers where size doesn't bother him because you think of the great players that Pep played with and managed. Size doesn't matter if you play for Barcelona. Yeah, so, so, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. He'd be um, yeah, he sort of fits that perfect. profile, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe you know if United had some ambition about them, um, he could be good back up or good competition for, for Aaron on that side but you know it's what it is and mm. hopefully we will um, be facing Brighton with a couple of new players in the team you can dream can't you um, <laughs> no, but let's, let's see how that goes um, apologies to anyone who wasn't quite prepared for Wayne Barton ranting off on the Monday morning podcast but um, a little bit um, cross this week let's say um, well, yeah, that's it for this week uh, remember to use TOTD10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts if you enjoyed the show give us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts like I say I always say I've got competition copies of books to give away but I um, need some more reviews on, on the um, on Apple Podcasts in order to sort of get around to doing that um, that's it for this week take care guys and we will be back to talk about United against Brighton and Lewin next week Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.